0: in today's episode of the Sixers beat Rich and I preview Wednesday's NBA draft from Tyrese Maxey and Cole Anthony to Desmond Bain Trey Jones Malachi Flynn Tyrell Terry Emmanuel Quickly Kira Lewis Aaron Neesmith and many more Rich and I go over who we think the Sixers should target with their draft picks focusing on on the 21st 34th and 36th picks in the draft One quick note, we do not go over some of the recent transactions in the NBA or the rumors that James Harden could be interested in the Sixers. We focus entirely on the NBA draft. We will have another pod later in the week for those other moves. Enjoy the podcast. Alright, welcome everybody. This is Derek Butner, joined by Rich Hoffman on the Sixers Beat, a part of the Athletics Podcast Network. Um you know, Rich, I really have no idea what it is we're gonna talk about today. None at all.
1: Well how you doing, buddy? I am doing okay, man. It the uh I am bracing for what is going to be one of the crazier NBA weeks in a while. And you know we will see you know we are taping this on sunday night you know there are james harden rumors now whether we get those type of fireworks you know blockbuster trades regardless the amount of activity with trades opening up on monday draft on wednesday free agency on friday this is uh this is going to be a whirlwind
0: yes it is um so you sort of laid out some of the immediate dates but we have a lot more dates on the schedule coming up as well. So December 22nd is opening night. This is all from Adrian Wojnowski of ESPN. Uh, The all-star break is March 5th through 10th. The regular season ends in the middle of May, May 16th. There is then a play in tournament, which I think still has to be agreed upon, but it sounds like it will be right after that. And then the first round of the playoffs start May 22nd. So a little over a month later than a normal season. Uh, you have the conference finals June 22nd and the NBA finals July 8th. So again, you're you're talking about a month difference, give or take, on a 72-game schedule. So that's sort of like the overall, um, what we're looking at. It is, you know, on the one hand, it is a little bit ambitious because it feels like we're still, I mean, it doesn't feel like we are still in a very strong pandemic, the strongest it's been, since this whole thing started, uh, the the details on the fans in seats will come. But it, a lot of this comes down to, you know, they wanted to be done by the time the Olympics came around. This is the best they could do to get as many games in as possible. And we'll see what that means for fans. What is it? Bums in seats? Bums so in loop, seats. Bums I, in seats.
1: Yeah, it's... That'll be interesting. Do you have this feeling that I, I felt like... You know, the months of May and June, we were sitting there talking about, can they pull off this bubble thing? Can they, uh, you know, can they keep everybody healthy? I-, I felt like there was a lot of public health talk at that point. And now
0: uh, we're like yada yaddying teams traveling?
1: Yeah, when it's worse than it's ever been. Yeah. Like, it's worse by measures of dig dig. It's like four times worse if you just go by cases. Now, they obviously- went from-
0: 10 million U.S. cases to 11 million U.S. cases in a week. Yeah. After eight months to get to 10, it took them a week to get the 11th. Yeah, it is Man. not good. Eight 8,000 U.S. citizens have lost their lives in the last seven days. Like, we do not have this under control at all. I get you can't pull off an entire full season in a bubble. That's not realistic. No. Uh, we will see what the eventual decisions are made with fans in the stands. Um, But, yeah, it is not – this is not the the – way you wanted to see this pandemic not, not that any of this has been the way you wanted to see it but the last last couple of weeks the last month has not been um not been good on that front all
1: right I, let's I, move- wait i don't want to nope. be like debbie downer either too because we're about know, to talk about trades, and, trades and, draft, and you're talking
0: you know, about a pandemic but yeah
1: yeah and that's you know that's cool and i just man i am not looking forward to you know, reporting on like, Oh, this player has COVID and he's out for no two weeks. That's going to suck. And it's something that we have seen in, uh, in baseball and football. And yeah, I'm just, I'm just not looking forward to that. Okay. Let's get to the fun stuff.
0: Though. All right. Well, real quick. Uh, the, there have been salary cap projections this year is going to be a flat tax. So everything is pretty much the same as it was last year. $109 million, uh, cap, $132.6 million luxury tax, million taxpayer mid-level exception, which is going to be important for the Sixers. That's about a $6 million drop from what they projected the cap to be at, and about a $6.4 million drop from the luxury tax. Now, there are also projections for future seasons, the next three seasons, which came out which seems like it's a little bit tough to predict because right now we don't even know if fans are going to be in the stand, So it's real hard to project basketball related income. But the projections they had for 2021-22 are $112 million cap and $136 million luxury tax, which is an even bigger drop. It's a $13 million drop in the cap, $13 million drop in the cap, and a $14.5 million drop in tax. And it, it basically each year... The following year is a 15.5 and 18.6 million dollar drop in the cap and the tax, respectively, and then a almost 20 million dollar drop in the cap and a 21.6 million dollar drop in the luxury tax over what the projections previously were. And again, these are all projections outside of this upcoming season. A lot of that is still subject just subject to change. But when we're talking about the Sixers' long term salary cap situation, if that does play out, it's a lot less maneuverability under the apron. That's a lot less maneuverability to ever have that full mid-level exception. And it's a lot bigger luxury tax for these Sixers owners to pay. And look, with what they've paid, I mean, look, I was Doc Rivers got a lot of money. I was told that Daryl Morey got upwards of $75 million over five years. Like, they're paying money and props to them for that. But we are looking at pretty big luxury tax bills coming up.
1: Yeah. it's It's tough to project into the future because you know, there's always like changes to what those projections are and the, the league sort and that's, of updates that's even you. when
0: you don't have a pandemic preventing fans from being in attendance.
1: Yeah. And the level of uncertainty now is just, you know, we'll, we'll see. I mean, if, you know, I, I wonder what it would look like in two years if next year is fairly normal, which to me doesn't seem impossible if, uh, you know, if we can make the, <laughs> the whole vaccine and, and some of the other things happen, but, yeah, it's uh, it's certainly something for you know you don't I don't blame the Sixers for uh, not foreseeing a, uh, a global pandemic, but uh, it's <laughs> it's something that they they're, they're going to have to deal with. Although
0: no, but I, I blame them for giving Tobias Harris hundred million dollars. That was bad, regardless of whether there was a pandemic or not.
1: Yeah, the uh, it, it was that's a that's a great point by you. The uh, <laughs> I'm trying to think of the other thing. Oh, wasn't there reporting though that? Uh, this season the um the luxury tax might be less con- uh it- it'll like it'll go down with the uh the basketball related income.
0: Right. Right. I forget exactly what that is, but yeah.
1: Basically if the Sixers aren't allowed to have bums and seats and the rest of the league th- there's a chance that at least this year's bill will be a little bit less for them. Yeah.
0: All right, let's move on to the NBA draft. You know, the Sixers are in a, I mean, it was honestly the best spot they could have found themselves in with the OKC pick, which was top 20 protected. It ended up falling at 21. Best spot they could have hoped for. They also have the 34th and the 36th pick in the second round. And then two more other second round picks, which we won't even talk about because they're not going to roster five rookies. That's just not going to happen.
1: I call Um, those the the Luka Mitrovic picks. You know, those (laughs) are... Those are the two years away from being two years away, guys. <laughs> what did what did Sheila say? I, I think it was during that fourteen draft, and I, was the other guy's name Gudaitis?
0: Bruno? Oh, that was well, the Sixers draft. Yeah, yeah, yeah I, I know and Mitrovic that, and Gudaitis. Yeah,
1: yeah. And I, I just remember Sheila. Yeah, the Frischilla Gudaitis had the the classic line for Bruno Caboclo: the two years away from yes. being two years away. But I think for one of those guys who were picked, I believe with the fifty eighth and sixtieth picks, like. Franchi could, you know, who, who's always he's pretty great. good with the yep. the European scouting, and he's also—I don't want to say like he's overly optimistic, but he finds a way to at least like talk about their strengths when they're on the draft show. And for one of those guys, he just couldn't even do it. He was like, "Yeah, I don't—I don't think this guy can play in the NBA." This <laughs> is a good memory.
0: Yeah, no, Fran is great. Um, he's—he's—I—I I love Fran. Anyway off track, completely off track. So I would say the strength of this draft and look right from the top, I do not follow the draft as closely as I did a couple years ago when I was writing for draft express. I have not watched these guys as much as I did back then. My takes are not as strongly formed. Keep that in the back of your mind.
1: Keep that in the back of your mind for me. Which which to
0: be, to be clear, like I was wrong plenty before too, but I want to be honest about how well formed these opinions are. These are more like, you know, initial impressions with a little bit of research behind it rather than like, hey, I've watched this guy play 20
1: times this year. The, there is nothing the that lends itself more to the armchair analyst parachuting in at the last hour yes. than, than college basketball. I would and, say and, both with the NCAA tournament and then with the NBA draft. Yep. Yep. You know, watch a couple YouTube videos, do, do a couple office pools, and everybody is suddenly an expert. I think it is important for us to, uh, to point out that we have not put in the time uh, that some of your uh, your former colleagues like Gavoni and those people and our because, current colleagues, yeah, like Sam Vecini, Um because yeah. they study this shit all year, and that's uh, it's important to at least defer to them and, and know that you know maybe I get one right over Sam, like in terms of a player, maybe I'm a little more on the mark, but it's not because I know more.
2: Oh,
0: um, no, like you. And
1: I, and you know what? I'll actually walk that back a little bit, too. He's definitely going to be right about more players than I am, too. Right.
0: Like the draft is something where like you are going to be wrong a depressingly frequent amount. It's just it's how well, how what what is behind your opinion? Anyway, we're, again, gosh, we're 12 minutes in this podcast. We've been off track the entire time. Is there anyone, you know, I think that going back, I think the strength of this draft is that there are a lot of guards specifically in the 20 through 40 range who have various skill sets. That the Sixers could use. And, you know, I think that is sort of where the strength uh, strength of this draft is. I think at the top, it's not as top heavy as some other drafts are, but I do think in that 20 through 40 range, there's a, a number of really good prospects. So our, our good buddy, John Hollinger recently mocked uh, Cole Anthony to the Sixers in his latest mock draft. Sam Vecini will be coming out with another update here in the next day or two. Um, i do know who's on that pick but or who's currently mocked can't reveal it yet but you will find out soon go to the athletic.com it's a guard. Slash sixers beat. It's, it's a guard yes we can we can reveal that go to the athletic.com sixers beat and uh, sign up if you're not already
1: a subscriber sorry, so' I guess- sorry precious Achua. you're not <laughs> you're not being mocked to the sixers
0: <laughs> all right so uh, let's uh start off with cole anthony you recently wrote about him what are your sort of thoughts on him on him uh, as a prospect for the sixers
1: Yeah, I you know what it's. um, First off, I I agree with you on on the general consensus of the draft. Like I I think it sets up pretty nicely for the Sixers. First, like you said, getting the twenty first pick that's as good as they could could have done with the Oklahoma City pick. Uh, Not only that, you know, I think like look, I, I don't like saying before this is a strong or a weak draft because that often you know, in hindsight, turns out to be somewhat wrong. Like 2014, somewhat, yeah,
2: 2014
1: yeah. was about as hyped as yep. any draft possible. And, you know, the, there are two stars from that draft. But, you know, one of them was Jokic, who was picked in the second round. And, you know, in the lottery, you had all of these guys who everybody thought was going to be all-stars. Only one of them hit. Luckily for the Sixers, it was their guy. And then, you know, you have like 2013 was not considered a very good one. But, you know, you got like Giannis and Rudy Gobert hanging out later in the draft. So you, there, there are always, you know, players that go under the radar for whatever reason who uh, who pop, whether they're all-stars or MVPs like Giannis. So I, I will say that. But we, we have to go on the c- consensus of what the uh, the experts are telling us. And what they generally say is that the top of this draft is not very strong compared to the average year. But the depth is decent. And the nice thing about the depth for the Sixers is that there are a lot of guards. And I think, you know, like, I'm going to have a more in-depth piece on some of the prospects later this week. So, you know, again, sign up for The Athletic, but we'll talk about a few of them. What I see in that 20 range, there are a lot of guards, but they are different flavors of guards. You know, you have, like, on one end of the spectrum... You have the shot creator type, like Cole Anthony, who I'm going to get to in a minute. Longest answer ever or, or somebody like RJ Hampton. I you forgot know, I even asked you about him. Sure. Yeah. No, I got, you know, I got some takes to, uh, to put out <laughs> here, but then, you know, they're kind of the more traditional type guards, you know, you got like Trey Jones, Malachi Flynn. Obviously there are differences between those players, but just the general characterization. And then you go to like Desmond Bain and like Sadiq Bey. I will say, like of that group, All of them would help the Sixers. But the best possible scenario, in my opinion, is the shot creator type. If that guy hits, then you're really working with something. And, uh, you know, Cole Anthony, I I did watch him. uh, I did watch a lot of his North Carolina film on Synergy. Again, not watching too many full games, which would probably be a little bit better. But just going through his possessions, North Carolina, terrible team, like, No shooting, would play two bigs at all times, really garbage, spacing, no creation. So many times they would just toss him the ball with like eight seconds left on the shot clock and say make a play. So I will say like he was in a a terrible situation and that helps explain why his numbers were awful.
2: As you all know by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using the BetMGM lines to make all our picks and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to the athletic 21 plus to wager visit mgm.com for terms and conditions u.s promotional offers not available in dc nevada new york and ontario gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in colorado dc illinois indiana Louisiana, Maryland, Massachusetts, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, Virginia, West Virginia, and Wyoming. Call one 877 8 hope or text hope and Y. call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona, 1-800-522-4700 in Kansas and Nevada, 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts, one 800 Bet's off in Iowa, one 800 270 for confidential help in Michigan. In partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. In Ontario, if you have questions or concerns about your gambling or someone else close to you, please contact Connects Ontario at one 531 2600 to speak to an advisor, free of charge. Sports betting is void in Georgia, Hawaii, and Utah and other states where prohibited. Commercial offers not available. In Nevada and New York. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use the bonus code TABasketball and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,000 first bet offer on your first wager.
0: And the I, got, I got real Jalen Brown vibes watching him play. And not not that they're the same player, because they're clearly not, especially defensively. Like, you're talking about one guy with elite defensive tools and the other guy with like a 6'4 wingspan. They're in in a completely different stratosphere. But when you watch Jalen Brown play in college, like his team was so bad and the spacing was so bad that it sort of enhanced a lot of his weaknesses and made him look worse offensively and look more out of control and look like he couldn't generate shots off the dribble because the spacing was just so brutal because they had nobody else to play around him. I got some vibes watching Cole, some of those vibes watching Cole Anthony. I think you're right.
1: Yeah. I mean, I I remember Jalen Brown, like everybody thought like, does this guy even know how to play within a team concept? And the answer was absolutely, you know, turns out as a Russell team, that was a problem. Yeah. Yeah. And 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 it was a disaster. He certainly figured it out. Um, So, so I guess the question is like Cole Anthony, he had these terrible offensive numbers, but he created a lot of his shots for himself. I forget. I, I should have the piece up in front of me, but like, I kind of remember I think Mark Whittington wrote a good piece on this at, uh, at Liberty Ballers when, uh, when Lonzo and Fultz that draft and like the problem with Lonzo was a lot of his shots around the rim. Like it, the percentage that they, they were assisted was pretty high. Very high. Yep. So like you could kind of tell he might not be the traditional shot creator as somebody who's creating their shots. Cole Anthony, pretty much everything he got was on his own. And, uh, he wasn't great at it. And I guess my question boils down to like is he good enough, you know, is he like he's a good athlete. He's got some decent change of direction and moves, but he's a little bit on the smaller side. And I, I just wonder like I love the the kind of archetype that he is, but I just wonder if he's good enough to do it at a high level in the yeah. NBA. And that's that's sort of where uh where I fall on him, but it's a uh, You know, he's certainly somebody who's being mocked around where the Sixers are picking at 20. He's somebody who, uh, it should be noted, coming into the season was one of the best players in high school basketball. Like, he was projected to be a top-five pick, almost. Um, You know, I I do kind of recall Daryl Morey placing some value into that, like some analytic value into that. I I can't, like, completely remember. I, I tried to look it up and couldn't. Exactly. No, I mean, he
0: was, he was like the Nike Skills Academy. He was really, really good. And he was going up against some really good players too. So I think when you combine that with how well he played in environments like that, along with how bad of a situation UNC was this past year. I mean, look, you hear UNC and you probably think a good, well-run team. Like that floor spacing on that team was as bad as any, what you would call quality program. And they weren't a quality team this year. They were as bad a poor floor spacing as you could possibly find. And I do think that... You know, look, you look at his his numbers around the rim, you look at his, you know, he shot, I think, 35 percent from three, but only 38 percent overall from the field. He struggled to get really good looks inside the paint. And part of that, you know, I don't think he necessarily is an elite level uh, read and react guy, which is, is maybe my biggest concern, besides the fact that he's only a good athlete, not a great athlete. But I don't think he's like an elite level read the defense kind of guy. No. But I think that was made worse because his floor spacing around him was dreadful because the other options around him were dreadful and because he had to create so much of his own offense. I don't think, you know, I think his effort is solid. Yeah. You know, defensively there's a lot of concern because he's like I said 6'3" with a 6'4" 6'5" wingspan something of that sh- that that in that range. But he tries. He doesn't he doesn't have great physical tools, but he does try on that end. And I do think, uh, you know, I believe in his shot, even though he only shot 34.8% from three, Yeah. like I, I believe like you can't go under your screen on him. He's real comfortable pulling up off the screen and even from NBA range. And I do think he has some, you know, create off the dribble shot creation in him. My question is, you know, is he going to be able to finish it among the trees? Is he going to be able to hold up defensively? And can you grow him as a, a, a passer and a, a shot creator for others?
1: Yep. Definitely has some off-ball value. Thought he made some nice moves, kind of running off screens. There was this one inbounds play that they uh, they ran a lot, and he uh, he kind of ate off of it. Um, just just doing a nice job of like the Ray Allen, JJ Redick reading. You know, does the defender shoot the gap? Does he trail me? And 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 making the right read. I agree with you on the passing. The passing is probably the biggest concern. Just really didn't see a lot of like high level skip to the corner type reads, like barely any, honestly. Yeah, but,
0: I mean he he's not like a a black hole. It's just real basic like drive and kick type stuff.
1: Yeah, so that that's where I fall on him.
0: Yeah, I think I think my general take on Cole Anthony is if he falls at twenty one, great. I probably wouldn't invest resources to move up to get him though.
1: Yeah, I mean I I don't think I he would be at the top of my list at uh at twenty one, but I I also think um. Like, like I wouldn't totally kill the pick either. You know, he's if look, if if he hits, he's going to be pretty good. You know, he's going to he's going to certainly be able to create offense. He's got a, a very nice step back three all yep. the way to like really deep range. So he's got a chance for sure.
0: All right. So let me because I, 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 I said I wouldn't trade up for him. Is there anybody that you looked at that you said, like, I would really consider trading up to 15, 16, 17, somewhere in that range because I like him that much?
1: The one guy that kind of intrigues me, and you wrote about him a couple weeks ago, Tyrese Maxey, kind of intrigues me a little bit. I think he's got the chance to—I don't know—kind of put that that shot creation mix all together. What, what do you think about him?
0: No, I I I, I like him. Um, he is a you know he, he kind of is a little bit of a jack of all trades. Like he wasn't a good shooter at Kentucky, but I think there's a projectable shot there. Uh, he could attack the basket, not elite getting the basket, but he could. He, he certainly had a mentality, body control, touch, uh, spatial awareness to attack off the dribble. And he was a real good. Probably his, his most uh, projectable skill is as a point-of-attack defender. Sometimes he was a little overly aggressive, but he's good size, 6'3", decent enough wingspan. I think he can probably defend two positions. And uh, to be able to get something on both sides of the ball with a projectable jump shot... And that that shot creation off a of pick and roll that you need, I do like him. Um, I'm not sure how much I like him enough to. I think he's going to go well above the Sixers at 21, so I do think you would have to trade up for him. I'm um, undecided whether or not I would give up real assets to move up to get him, but certainly if you're talking in that range, I like him more than Cole Anthony, for example. Uh, so yeah, I I, I I do like him. I'm just unsure whether you know how much I would give up.
1: It, it kind of depends. You know, I haven't really looked at the the players that are projected to go i don't know from like 10 to 15 like i i watched a few games of alabama's kira lewis yep in uh in the summer real
0: quick lightning fucking quick yep
1: yeah yeah he's uh he's got really impressive uh change of speed and direction and i think the reason I, i started watching him was because i did a Q and A with Vecini for the site, and that was one of the players that uh, that he was talking about. But it seems like he has jumped up draft boards. He's somebody who I would have a lot of interest in. I guess, uh, I guess, when you ask that question, like, would you trade up? I'm, I'm going to put you on the spot. What what are the odds? And this could be for whatever reason, because it's kind of like, uh, you know, this this draft, what Daryl Morey does in trades. And free agency—that's going to affect, you know, what happens with this draft. So, sure. in putting you on the spot, what, what are the odds that the number one twenty-one pick on Wednesday is wearing a Sixers uniform on December twenty-second?
0: Uh, I thought I had a, a way out because if you'd have told me, like, oh, are, are they wearing a Sixers hat on draft night? Yes, because the NBA has stupid rules. No, no, no. <sighs> um, I think this might be the pick that they keep. Both because I think there are players who can fit what they need and also just because like Daryl Morey likes to trade a lot of his picks like a year beforehand or two years beforehand. Uh, he tends to use them for players. I'm not sure there's going to be that opportunity that there normally would be at a trade deadline or in in, in, in multiple different trade scenarios in the past. I I would say 60% chance. Yeah. And I just made that up. but
2: Yeah, no, I, I
1: think anywhere from 40 to 60, I would accept it. But there, there's certainly a real possibility that it could get packaged for whatever reason. Whether
0: it's, oh, sure.
1: You know, I mean, it could be a bunch of reasons. It could be a consolidation trade where they move up. It could be, um, you know, it could be attached as a sweetener in like an Al Horford trade. Sure. Although – uh Sounds like the Thunder got the, the 28th pick in the draft for uh, Dennis Schroeder. I, you know, I, I wonder at some point if the Thunder, you know, like five picks in the, yeah in the 20s is, you know, how appetizing does that get after a while? No,
0: they're, they're loaded in picks. Yeah.
1: With the old Chris Paul trade because they, you know, they have Houston's and the Clippers picks for basically eternity. So, um, yeah, but anyway, I do think there's a, a decent chance it gets gets moved. I mean, it's, it's kind of like you were talking about earlier, too. 21, 34, and 36 are the real ones. That, you know, the 34 and 36, that, those picks have a lot of value. And I wouldn't just say they have value to other teams, too. Like, for the Sixers, who, uh, like you said, are, are going to face a massive luxury tax bill, you know, they have, what, 11 players and about... I think it's about 147 million dollars, so they're 10 million over the the tax, or 10 million over the tax, which means they're paying more than that. Um, you know, I mean, being able to roster a couple of players on, you know, whether they they eat into the taxpayer mid level or they agree to minimum level contracts, whatever it is, uh, I, I think that would have some value for the Sixers too.
0: Yeah, for sure. You know, I think if you're going to ask me about a trade, like I think trading in the late first round pick, because remember the Sixers only have a lot of these early second round picks nowadays tend to get more than a minute. Like when you're over, over the the cap, you have to use an, an exception to sign your second round picks. Most of them traditionally have come on the minimum salary exception, but a lot of times nowadays players in the early, like the top five top seven range of the second round have been getting more than that. So if you don't have salary cap space, the way you do that is by using your 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 mid-level. But since the Sixers don't have the full medle- mid-level, they only have the $5.7 million mid-level, using that to sign a player or two really eats into what you can then do two days later in free agency, uh, which is weird to say, but that's the way that the schedule is going. So I almost wonder if it's more beneficial for the Sixers to maybe package those two picks, move up into the late first round, or package you know that pick and a future pick, or wh- whatever it costs, to move up into the late first round because then you have a rookie scale contract and you don't have to use part of your, your mid-level on a player who might otherwise demand it. Um, so I almost wondered if a a late first round pick might have more value for the Sixers just because they have so little flexibility with that mid-level.
1: yeah. And I, I like where your head's at on that. And, you know, for a team that might not have the same level of, uh, cap concerns, you know, with, with signing those second round picks, a pick late in the first round, with, with the way this draft is is judged, that team might think, "Hey, uh, you know, we'd rather have two swings at this, and you know, get players of similar caliber." Because you know, I think in a lot of drafts, the the difference between I don't know twenty seven and thirty six might not be a huge deal. You know, oh, yeah. it's kind of like an eye of the beholder type of thing before the draft. And in in this draft, where the depth is is considered to be pretty good, I would say, I think Vicini wrote kind of midway through the second round. So probably right before that 49th pick that the Sixers own, that that's certainly something you could see.
0: Yeah. And, um, it might not even be like necessarily to get the guy that you want. Like I said, it might be just contractual where you can get a, a guy with a, remember late first round picks. They only have a, a guarantee of like a two year guarantee with then two more options after that. And you're talking about a starting salary of like what, a little over a $1, $1. million dollars, 1.4 million dollars, something in that range. So these are, are real friendly contracts that, like I said, you just don't have to dip into an exception to to sign. All right, let's go back to a couple more. You know, when I was asking that question about moving up, two of the guys that I really like who I would consider moving up for are forwards, which doesn't necessarily fit with what the Sixers need. But I really like J- uh, Jaden McDaniels out of Washington and Aaron Neesmith out of Vanderbilt. Like, I think they are two players who can really be two-way players. McDaniels is a little more of a, a, a prospect, um, but he's you know, great size, 6'10", 7' plus wingspan, uh, but who can also defend the perimeter. Uh, he has real multi-positional defensive versatility. Not what you need, but I think he would be a good, you know, development project and a player who, you know, I always love, I, I, I have a thing for forwards who can move on the perimeter and be a weak side shop locker and grow into a three-point shooter. So he is, I think he is one of the ones who could maybe uh, end up overshooting his draft slot a little bit. it like, he reminds me a little bit of a not as good clearly and that's why he's not a top top 6 pick. But stylistically he reminds me a little bit of Jonathan Isaac and um those are kind of the players I tend to uh fall in love with. I think he would be a real good fit. Didn't Not, not necessarily a good fit. Like he would have to be he would have to really grow. I think he shot like 34% from 3. Or no, uh, yeah, about 34% from 3. But I think he has a pretty projectable shot and I could see him improving
1: quite a bit. Didn't watch one second of him because it just seems like he's not the type of player that they need. But to be fair, not. I'm not going to completely criticize them for for going off brand. If, you know, hey, look, if, if they hit on the pick eventually, you know, you, you draft the best player you can find. Neesmith, I have watched. He is an excellent shooter.
0: Excellent. Yeah. Uh, 52.2% from three on eight attempts per game. Good size. 6'6 six, six with a seven foot wingspan. Solid athlete. Uh, and with him, there's a whole bunch, like he gets really good elevation on his shot. So you can see that translating, like he's not going to need a lot of space to get a shot off. And when defenses have to worry about that, that tends to lead to a lot more gravity. Um, he can shoot on the move. Uh, he is a, 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 he's just real good all around. Like he's not going to create a whole bunch off of the dribble, but the fact that he can move off of a screen, the fact that you can't leave him on the perimeter. In fact, that he has a body type and the willingness to defend, like, I think that kind of two-way player, again, not necessarily what you would expect the Sixers to do, but I would argue that, look, 90% of what we're going to talk about are guards you can create off the dribble. But if you can hit on a young player who you can project into your rotation, you get four years of them on a cost-controlled contract, and then you get them as a restricted free agent. If either one of these develop, then, no, it's not an immediate need, but it allows you a lot more freedom to offload contracts without taking a big hit in um in, in 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 your quality of play and being more flexible in what you can do going forward from there. So the key is always hit on your draft picks. It would just be great if you could hit on a draft pick on a skill set you currently need. And the nice thing about Neesmith, know the position you don't need, but the skill set you absolutely do.
1: Yeah, he, he would fall more into the 3 and D category of the guards, even though he projects yes. more as a wing.
0: Oh, he doesn't, he hasn't created a lick for anyone else. No.
1: Yeah. And you know, there's another player who's kind of like that who is projected to be, I don't know, like 10 picks or so after Neesmith. I think he has been mocked to the Sixers. The scene he had him at one point mocked to the Sixers is uh TCU's Desmond Bain. He is an excellent shooter. Um, yep. And that's kind of like I was talking about earlier. He He feels like, First off, he does not have picture-perfect form on the jumper, but it uh, he gets it off quick, and he shoots it from deep. He shoots it contested. I forget what the exact uh, off-screen numbers yeah. were, but they were awesome <laughs> for him. Um, and, you know, it's funny, in, in kind of reading Hollinger and Vicini and these people, the way that he has apparently aced some of these interviews – Yep. with an understanding that he is going to be a role player and what type of role he's going to be. I believe he's mentioned the name Joe Harris a few times, just the you know the guy who runs off screens and helps juice your offense. He sounds to me like the offensive oriented Matisse Stibel, which you know I mean sign me up. but uh you know, as I said earlier, that player doesn't represent the type of player who could most help the sixers. But it would, you know, if you're able to hit on that, it would still be a pretty big deal.
0: Yeah, no, I mean, both Neesmith and um, Desmond Bain, both reportedly very high character guys who will fit in the role that you ask them to. And have been real good in the, this pre-draft. It's weird, unorthodox pre-draft process. But the pre-draft process, I, I guess they're real good with Zoom. I don't know. Um, yeah. I the, suck the at The guy who's... Yeah, we we both do. Um, the other guy who's real good as an off-ball threat is Emmanuel Quickly. Now he's somebody who doesn't uh, project into the first round. He's more of a second-round guy, and if the Sixers keep one of those two second-round picks, but a a sophomore from Kentucky, six three, six four, with a I think a six eight or a six nine wingspan. So he's undersized as a two in terms of height, but has a, certainly the wingspan and the the body type in that regard. At least he's a little thin and frail but it has a link to at least defend a two, which is good because he doesn't have point guard skills, or at least he didn't show it with Kentucky. And again, he was he was playing with a pretty good lead guard there anyway in Maxi. but he doesn't have... Frankly, when I watched him, what I did watch, I didn't see a whole lot of shot creation for others. I didn't see a whole lot of feel for the game. But he's the other one who can just come flying off of the screen, is always a threat to shoot. Probably the most like Landry shammit in this draft. I'm not sure he's quite Landry shammit's uh, caliber, but I think he's in that mold uh, and I think he's a guy to watch out for in the second round.
1: Yeah. You know, and the, you know, whether you're talking about like Cassius Winston, um, you know, I, I don't, I think Flynn probably will be a, a late first round pick, but they will have a chance to select, you know, pretty well thought of guards in the, uh, in the 34 and 36 spots. If they, they do make those picks and we'll see what, uh, what Daryl Morey was able to do with Elton Brand in the, uh, what was it? The 10 hour meetings. You know, I wonder like, yeah, it's, I mean, it was pretty funny. Like Daryl Morey was asked about this at his press conference. He was operating all season as if he had zero picks because the Rockets didn't have anything. And he basically was like, you know, like you had to really pay attention to the second round because we were thinking about buying a pick. Um, or, or maybe going the undrafted free agent route, which he has had some success with in his career in uh, in Houston. So I'm not worried about him. Uh, I guess it's good that, like, with him making the move right away, you don't have to worry about, like, all right, do you know anything about this draft? You know, like, he was, <laughs> he was actually studying it. And the other good thing, too, is that whoever the hell has been making the picks for the Sixers the last couple of years— They've done well, a okay. pretty good job. Yeah. yeah. They've, you know, like, look, it's, we're talking about the, the single, maybe double swings and the, the home run swings have been big old whiffs, but with these, uh, these specific single swings, they've done, they've done a nice job connecting in both the first and second round.
0: And most of that staff is still there. Mark Eversley is not obviously, but outside of that, Eversley and Phil Jabour. it's, it's mostly the, uh, mostly the same staff. So at least for now, so I think that, Bodes well. So, are you touched on? What if it was Phil
1: Jabour this whole time? You know,
0: (laughs) I mean, it could be. He certainly had a large role in that front office, but there was, um, yeah, we'll see. You mentioned Cassius Winston and Malachi Flynn. Let's throw uh, Trey Jones out of Duke into that mix. Mm -hmm. Who do you like from that?
1: Hmm, I think I like Malachi Flynn the most as a as a pick and roll operator. I, you know, he is a guy who just ran a shit ton of pick and roll yep. at San Diego state. I like that. His team was awesome. That obviously that doesn't always completely matter. He's kind of the, the opposite of Cole Anthony in that respect. And he just, just seems to have like a really good feel for the game, whether that's uh that's hitting the roll man. He certainly can score out of the, uh, out of the pick and roll. Trey Jones. I'm a little worried about his shot translating. He is certainly in, I'm, as far as a, point of attack defender, he could be really damn good in the NBA at that. And Cassius Winston is just a, I I think he's going to be able to shoot it really well in the NBA um, as well. But of those three, I would say from what I watched, I liked Flynn the most. And to be fair, like I think the the consensus is that he is being mocked a little bit ahead of them as well.
0: I would say Winston is probably the best pure pick and roll player out of that group. Now, I think Malachi Flynn is different because he's such a threat to shoot off the dribble, but Winston probably has the best feel for a pick-and-roll, I guess is the way I would phrase it, in terms of using it to get in the paint, using it to create for others. He probably has the most passing out of the pick-and-roll of that trio. But I worry a lot that he just might get eaten up by NBA size. Uh, he's not the quickest. Athleticism, yeah. It, and athleticism, not the quickest. He struggles to get in the paint, even in college. He's only six one. 6'1". Like, I, I, worry, I, I like the way he plays. I just worry whether he's going to be able to translate that to the NBA. Uh, he's probably the one I have the most concern of, well, I have con- concern over Trey Jones, too. At least Trey Jones, though, has that defensive side of the court where I'm pretty confident in his ability to defend. Again, I worry a little bit whether or not he can get all the way to the rim, whether or not he can create consistently against NBA defenders, but I do like him on the other side of the ball more. Flynn is just, like, he's he, he when he gets going, he is unconscious, and you, it's really tough to defend. And again, he's only 6'2", so there's a little concern there. But the way he can get his shot off and the way he can step back and the the, just the number of moves he has in his bag of tricks. He, I, I have the most confident of his shot of those three. And is he the best prospect of those three? I don't know, but I think he might be the best prospect for the Sixers out of those three.
1: Yeah. And, uh, you know, Cassius Winston, he also, you know, he ran a lot of pick and rolls with Xavier Tillman. Who's, you know, m- making him look good too. Cassius Winston. Also like a guy who's been around in college basketball forever. Yeah. You know, he's like the, the Scotty Reynolds type of uh, Duke guard X who plays for four years, those type of players. And
0: again, I really like him. I really like the way he handles a pick and roll. I just don't know if it's going to translate.
1: Yeah, his his size and athleticism, it, it's a question. Now, that said, like if they were to pick him at 34 or 36, I, I wouldn't have a problem with it at all. Reasonable gamble, sure. Yeah.
0: Sure. Uh, all right, last one. Uh, I think that's the last one out of my list. We didn't talk much about Theo Maladon. On the on one hand, I haven't watched as much on him as yeah. I have on the other guys. We don't, also, he didn't, we don't have he that video. We, we don't. He also didn't pop quite as much, to be, if I'm being completely honest. like He seems like a a good all-around player, but there's he doesn't have elite athleticism. He doesn't have really creativity. Or the, well, no, he's, he's creative. He doesn't have the aggressiveness you would want. And part of that's he was 18 playing in a pro-French league. Um, but he just, he didn't pop athletically. He didn't pop in terms of anything he was truly elite at. So I'm really not sure how to project him. And again, he might end up being a decent prospect. I'm just, I'm, I have less confidence in my evaluation of him. So we'll move on from there. Uh, Tyrell Terry, the guy who's been shooting up draft boards. You talked to, you mentioned that article you wrote with Vicini back in, oh, jeez, June, maybe, I think. I think it was even before then. Yeah, maybe. I don't Time know. is weird. We've been talking about, uh, anyway, uh, Tyrell Terry, a uh, Stanford freshman, lights out shooter. What do you like about him?
1: Yeah, shooting, you know. I guess I gave it away. You, you gave it away. His uh, <laughs> and, and he is, I, I would say, of the shooters, he might have, you know, I mean, Cole Anthony, obviously, like, he didn't shoot it at the level that you're going to need to in the NBA, and he has some versatility off the dribble, but like of the super knockdown guys that, you know, were knockdown guys in college, he probably has like the most on ball, off ball versatility of that yep. group. Like, certainly looks comfortable. It, like, if you go under, that's, that seems like it's automatic. And it's, yep. you know, it's like, it's not the quickest release in the world, but he seems to do a good job in terms of like shot preparation and, and moving off the ball. He's he's smooth, man. Like, you know, I like he's not Steph Curry obviously, but he's like, you know, he's one of those smooth type ball handlers. And and I guess the uh the question with him there's a couple things and I'm basically stealing Vicini's takes cuz he did a an in-depth article on him. I wonder a little bit about like is he just an off-ball type of of player mm-hmm. because He's like he's one of those uh I mentioned Lonzo earlier. He he seems like he's not as good of an on ball passer, you know, like the find the roll man, find the guy in the opposite corner. But he does seem like he is a, a decent ball mover. I, I just wonder if you can uh you can make that work. Now that said, like if you're looking at plugging him into the Sixers offense, like that seems like somebody who Ben Simmons can help cover up his weaknesses a little bit. Yeah. You know, if you were to project it that way. I know uh I know Mike O'Connor over at the at the Ricky he mentioned that he's a little bit worried about just like his lack of size and physicality oh, yeah. and I think that's that's perfectly fair um but like you know we talked about the Sixers needing shooters you know Vucini I remember in his article that he wrote about him you know Tyrell Terry despite not being the most athletic guy in the world is pretty crafty in terms of finishing around the rim as well yeah, I think it's mostly like how does he translate to uh, to MBA athleticism, but you know, in terms of the skill set, it seems like it's something that would fit the Sixers pretty well.
0: Yeah, I mean, like you said, the the thing you like about him most is just the versatility of his perimeter shot, like catch and shoot, pick and roll, screens, handoffs. Like he can, he's comfortable on all of it, and he he really does a good job of using screens and manipulating the screen to get space, which he needs because he's not the quickest with his dribble. He's not going to create a whole lot for himself in a traditional as Brett Brown would say, like pound pound system. Like that's just not, it's not well, I guess that's more of his post-up. Anyway, we don't need to get back. Um, he's not going to create a whole lot. <laughs> he's not going to quarterback dribble the gym. isolation. Yeah. So he's going to need to be good at using those screens. He is pretty good at using those screens, which is good. I wouldn't say his handle is elite. I wouldn't say his vision is elite. Like I think he's more of a combo guard, which is fine um he's sort of stuck in a point guard body which again not the most versatile in the world but the shot is and if the shot is versatile and the shot translate then you know like you said he's not a great passer but he's also not like a non-passer like he will make that swing pass he will make that simple drive and kick and you know if all of that he's another one he will compete compete defensively even if he doesn't have the body necessarily to do so like he I have pretty big concerns defensively overall, like he will just get obliterated by screens um, and he doesn't really have a frame where you look at and you go, yeah, I can project him out to gain fifteen twenty pounds over the next few years um he doesn't have i think he has decent wingspan for a six one guard but he's still a six one guard like he's not he doesn't have like crazy long arms or saying, ah, he can definitely defend twos like I don't think he has real defensive versatility, but he was at least committed and he was at least paying attention for the most part. So that kind of shot versatility. Um,
1: he's going to have to be of, a lights out shooter though, because Oh, hundred percent because you're not drafting him for his defense.
0: No, but the fact that he is comfortable on and off ball, he can use those screens that he's going to use. I mean, he, I think he is a, an option for sure. Would I feel confident hundred percent taking him at 21? I don't know about that. Um, to be frank, a lot of these people that we talked about, I'm a lot more comf- comfortable with them as early second round picks than first round picks. Um, There's not, you know, I think there's not a whole lot of separation in that 20 range, but I do think, you know, I think my general goal would be take 34 or 36, another, another pick in the future, or even, even maybe the other one in the thirties trade up into the 27, 26 range, get two of these guys. And maybe one of them's like a, um, you know, Malachi Flynn, who's a little more of an on ball, Maybe one of them's like a Tyrell Terry, who's a a combo. Even maybe a Desmond Bain, who's more of an off ball, but get two of them. See if one of them works out and see if you can get a a rotation player out of this going forward. Like, do I look at any of these guys and I say that guy is definitely going to work out? No, that's why they're being drafted in the 20s in a relatively weak draft. But I think there's enough talent, enough diversity in talent where if you can walk away with two of these people, you have a chance that one of them works out and that will really help your cap situation. Going forward, especially given the skill sets of the people we're talking about, any skill sets of your two
1: stars? Yeah, I think that's right. Two bites at the apple, try and get one rotation player, and then uh, and then call it a night. I guess we didn't talk about Poku though. No, I'm <laughs> kidding. but you
0: want to talk about Nick Batum opting into his or uh, re- exercising the final year of his contract? Twenty seven million dollars for Nick Batum. I believe he averaged three points a game.
1: Believe that was a five-year deal in the uh, the summer of I guess Nate Duncan calls them the the sour '16s, well, the, <laughs> the last vestiges of the uh, the 2016 offseason. Yeah, what a what a time that was. The world,
0: <laughs> uh, but yeah, we had um, the trade with the the Lakers. Um,
1: yeah, Dennis Schroeder, who you know, you know, I
0: think Danny Green and 28 pick. Yep,
1: who some people I think wondered like, is that somebody the Sixers might go after as kind of a lesser version of Chris Paul, somebody who would cost less money, too. I think the, the problem with Schroeder is he played— I don't
0: in- buy that shot. Yeah.
1: I mean, he yeah. just—he shot at a level last year that he really hasn't throughout most of his career. And, like, look, I love to have somebody who can run the pick and roll at the end of games. I thought him, uh, him CP, and Shea, that closing lineup, was, like, one of the best lineups in the league. He was, he was a big part of the Thunder overachieving last year. I just— yeah, I wonder if uh if that shot translates. And now you have uh you have Danny Green who uh probably not the, the biggest need in the world for the Sixers, but you know, who's somebody who, you know, if his shot rebounds a little bit, certainly I think is a more helpful player than he showed in last season's playoffs.
0: Yeah. No, he had a he had he had a down year for
1: sure. Um probably doesn't we'll fit the uh what the Sixers need though, considering he uh a, he doesn't really run off screens all that much and B, uh, like... He can I, I, use dribbly guys. He actually, like, might not be able to dribble. So that's... <laughs> look, I mean, you can still be a successful NBA player. I mean, he's he's making, what, $14, $15 million a year. But it is a uh, it is an impediment for sure.
0: There is hope for Matisse then. Yeah. But yeah, it was, it was just nice to get a, a, a transaction in the NBA. Like, it, it feels real again. And my timeline is so screwed up with the NBA right now. It feels like we just saw the finals... And now we're, we're talking about training camp here in like a little over two weeks. And you've got a draft and free agency in between now and then. And uh, it, it finally felt real. Like we're really back into this, which was nice to get. Because now we have a lot coming up here in the next couple of days. We will talk to you again later this week. Recapping the draft, previewing free agency. But thank you, Rich, for jumping on. And we will talk to you soon.
2: See you, man.